0: Thanks, Stephen. I'm sure that's what everybody came to church for this morning. Nice reading about bleeding, mention of periods. You know, great. Shall we pray and ask for God's help in understanding what we've had read to us? We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word, which um, tells us all of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Uh, But... Some of it is very mysterious to us, like this bit we've just had read. We pray you'll grant us, by your Holy Spirit, understanding and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, back back in the day, I played a lead part in my school's production of this wonderful musical, Oklahoma. Have you seen it? It's a good one. Yeah. Anyway... uh, As part of our dress rehearsal in our school play, a group of people from the local sheltered accommodation, so elderly people, were brought for us to do the dress rehearsal for as a day out uh, for them and practice for us. But it was obviously not the most scintillating performance ever because several of them fell asleep. I think it was just the wrong time of the afternoon. And so they missed Oklahoma with its great deep message of celebration of life and love and the good things. It was very sad. But anyway, there was at one point, a point of great drama, where uh, the sheriff had to speak to my character, Judd Fry, turned around to me and went, Judd Fry, stand up! And this poor old lady who was asleep, he shouted so loud, woke up and stood up. <laughs> and the warden who brought them came and said, no, it's all right, that wasn't for you. Everybody had to say, yes, you've, you've understood the words correctly, but you don't have to obey them. To understand what's going on in front of you. Now, it's a bit like that with the book of Leviticus. So we do want to understand these words that are in front of us today, but you don't need to worry that we have to obey them, which is why if you've just had a baby, we won't make you get out. Leviticus is the story uh, from the first part of the Bible of what we call the Old Testament of a people who've been held in slavery by a foreign power And they're called by God to know him. They're called out of slavery to be his people and to know him. And they have this list of commands then they're supposed to follow because they know God. And you might read them and think, why do we not have to obey these commands? But it's the same reason why the old lady watching the play didn't need to stand up. Leviticus is laid out before us as like a sort of play with a message we need to hear but we don't hear the message by obeying the commands. And it turns out, uh, after the people are rescued and they're brought to know God, when you're just a normal person, and there's nothing special about you, which is all of us, you get things wrong. But God can't actually be in relationship with people who get things wrong, so it gets quite complicated. God is so utterly holy and burningly pure That if someone with the slightest bit, the slightest tint of wrongness approaches him, they die. Well, that is bad enough news, but the worst news is this. Within what seems like minutes of these people being rescued by God, they worship something else. The pull of this dying world is always sucking people away from the God who they know has saved them they're not neutral, and the Bible uses this word, unclean. It means you can't approach God or you'll die if you're unclean. But we live in a world that's unclean and is constantly sort of pulling us back to uncleanness. But what are we going to do? Because this God who's brought to know us, he is the source of life. There's no life separate from him. So we're sort of in this terrible situation, constantly sucked away from God by the world, but Needing to know God. And Leviticus is basically an acted out play of how God sees that problem and what he's going to do about it. You may remember, we did a bit of it a few months ago. The people in Leviticus, they live in this camp. This is an artist's impression of it. So there's a tent in the middle, and that's where God lives. That's where they meet with God. It's called the tent of meeting. And then round the edge are the 12 tribes of Israel. And their leaders camp round the tent, and then the rest of the people camp round the leaders. And there's a statement of intent in God's part in bringing them into this camp. He's going to say, you will know me, I will live among you, and your leaders will know me best, and they will spread the knowledge of me to the people in the outside of the camp. And then the whole nation will spread the knowledge of me to the whole world outside the camp. That's always God's purpose in calling people to know him, by the way. If you're a Christian here today, that's why he's called you. So the knowledge of God can be spread further than you. And a way outside the camp is wilderness and death. But the story of Leviticus is God bringing people close so they can gain life and then take that life outside the camp to the dead world. As we've read the book, it's been the same old problem in the uh, they have to do sacrifices to the people because they can't approach God in His holiness. and even after they're told to do that, their hearts are still rebellious so they're told to do all these sacrifices to approach God safely. but we saw a few months ago about two guys who were like, "Oh bored of that. We'll just waltz on into the temple and to the tabernacle and do what we like there and they just died. And after that, these next four chapters of the book, we get what looks like a lot of boring detail. But what it's showing us is that God is totally clear that just by living in a world that's broken and dead, you're going to become further and further away from God. And it's God who needs to solve that problem. He's not saying, be better and you will reach me. He's saying, you can never be good enough to reach me, and I need to do something. And that's the good news, really, that this burning holy God is always calling people into relationship with him, even though they're far away in this unclean world. It's God saying, I will solve this problem. Bear with me. So listen, you don't have to obey the words in this play, but you do have to listen to its message. The world is broken. Just living in this broken world draws you into ways of living. That means you can't approach God. But he knows that. It's no surprise to him. And he remains deeply, personally, burningly committed to you knowing him. And taking that knowledge out to others. All of that is in here in these strange few chapters which appear to be about pregnancy, bleeding, mould in clothes and other exciting topics. So let's uh, walk through what the chapters are about first. Chapters 12 to 15 are about what makes people unclean. And there's three categories. Um, If you're not into detail, feel free to think about EastEnders or footballer stuff for a while and we'll call you back. But some people are interested in this. What makes people unclean? Oh, I should also say health warning. If you're not a medic, which is like a small number of people in this church, and nearly everybody is a medic, but if you're not a medic, we're going to talk about some sort of bodily functions. So if you're squeamish about that, sorry. Okay, what makes people unclean? After this chilling story of the two guys who just head in and enter the tabernacle and end up dead, how do you know if you're unclean or not? Um, What makes you unclean? Now, some people have thought, by the way, that these are public health, sort of instructions, so it's um, new mothers shouldn't come in because they're tired after birth, which would be true, people with skin diseases, people with abnormal emissions. Um, I don't think they're just public health uh, things, because you don't get anything about fever or not going in if you've got a vomiting bug, which would be of more concern to me than someone who's eczema. So anyway, there we go. There's a clue, though, as we go through about why each of these groups of people are unclean. The first group is people who are, have just given birth. Women are unclean after childbirth. For some time after birth, women are not able to play a full part of the community surrounding God. And there is a clue as to why that is. The woman can return to the life of the camp with her child when she is, and here's a quote, clean from the flow of her blood. Now, blood is a big deal in this book. Leviticus, the life of anything is in its blood. The pouring out of blood represents the loss of life. So it's not having a baby that makes you unclean, that's just a normal part of life. But when someone is still bleeding, losing life, marked by death, you might say, they can't approach God. The so second category is people with skin diseases. There's all sorts of instructions about how the priest is to work out whether this this skin disease is serious enough to show exclusion. How much does it affect the person? But if it settles into their skin, if it becomes part of them, they are unclean. It's not particularly just about the disease of leprosy, it's about all skin diseases. And then Leviticus gives us a clue why that person's unclean. Look what it says. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. The person has to behave as if they're at a funeral. As if the person is mourning their own death. That's a bit weird because this even counts for like if you've got measles or a little itchy patch on your arm. But they still have to behave like a death has happened and be put outside the camp. It's almost as if having these marks on your body are a reminder that we are mortal, that we die, a visible reminder. And this person has to participate in this reminder of their own imminent death when they're marked by death. And so they have to go outside the camp to the realm of death, far away from God until they're better. Okay, the medic bit. Emissions, quote-unquote. So any emissions from your body, even just normal emissions that come from having sex or having a period, make you unclean for a while. Now that's weird because having sex and reproduction stuff is something that's celebrated in the Bible. So it's not that those things make you unclean. But it is that the loss of these sort of life fluids, we'll be past this in a minute, blood and, you know, other key stuff, Uh, that is a marker that we are mortal and will one day die. And you cannot approach the God who has life in himself, the source of all life, while you're marked with death. Death in the Bible is Satan's tool, is the tool of God's enemy to hold us in fear. So when people die, it's a sign that we belong to another ruler apart from God, And so you're unclean. You can't approach God while you're marked or shaped or demonstrating that you're enthralled to death. And bleeding and skin diseases and emissions, those are visible signs that you are deaths. You belong to death. So, unclean, people are marked by death. And what this is saying is if you're marked with death... If your life is about death rather than about receiving life from God, you can't approach Him. It's a picture that anybody, quote unquote, marked by death is unclean to God. So, what does that mean? What's it a picture of? It seems like miles away. How do we know what it means? Well, to help us understand it, we're going to watch a Marks and Spencer's advert
1: someone wise once said life's short and spending it well isn't always about saying yes it's sometimes having the conviction to say no no uncomfortable knickers no uncomfortable silences no phones at the dinner table no phones at the bedside table no clothes that cost the earth no shoes that hurt your feet no saving things for best No disappointing dinners No disappointing friends No comparing yourself to this girl No excuses No staying silent No holding back So if it doesn't make you feel ten feet tall If it doesn't take you somewhere extraordinary Say no After all We only get one life. Let's spend it well.
0: We only get one life. Let's spend it well. What does spending it well mean? Saying no to irritating people. Isn't it? Isn't that the message? In fact, spending it well, if you click the link, means buying a new sort of yellow Mac from Marks & Spencer. So if you think I'm being cynical about this supposedly life-affirming advert, I promise you someone's only manipulating you to make money. It all looks gloriously life-affirming, but of course it's all based on the premise you only have one life, so you should be selfish. You only got one life, so what's the point in disappointing friends, people who don't make you feel 10 feet tall? Now, uh, far be it from me to criticize m s but that's the opposite attitude that God has, isn't it? God is the fountain of life and pours life out in service of people. Now, when Jesus talks about what makes us unclean, he gives us this list. Uh, It's all a list of things that people do wrong. Sexual immorality and lies and all sorts of immoral stuff that comes out of our hearts. That's what Jesus says makes us unclean. But why do people behave in that unclean way? Because we're going to die someday, and you've only got one life, so you've got to make the most of it. So be selfish. Make bad decisions that may hurt others. My one life must count and be important. Now do you see, all of us live marked by death. And you just get that attitude. You sort of catch it by living in the world. It's like a disease, it's like something of yourself that just becomes by living in a world that's rejected God. There were a group of very depressed philosophers who thought about what it meant to live towards death all the time. Uh, most of them killed themselves. It's not something we think about much, but it is a way of living we just pick up, even from somewhere as innocent as Morrison Spencer's. Because everyone will die... Because most people have no hope except this one life, they all live for themselves. So you're marked with death. You're unclean. m have just put an Instagram filter on it. Remember the play? Stand up. <gasps> you don't have to stand up. You don't have to get odd if you've had a child or any of the other mentioned things. But the message of the play in Leviticus is this. All of us are marked by death. Death, you have one life that controls the decisions we make without God. And it controls us so evil comes out of our hearts. I have to protect this life. I have to protect myself. I have to do what's good for me. It's all the mark of death. And it separates us from God. source of life. If you bear the mark of death, that is, I have to live my way because I only have one life. You can only be outside the camp. If you approach God that way, you die. So we have a problem acted out for us in this huge real life play. If you are someone who has just one life to live, if you belong to death, not life, you can't come near the God who is the fountain of life. If you are stained and dirty and crushed by this world where death rules, you aren't able to know the awesome source of life. But here is the good news. Death can be fixed. I saw this tweet this week. You might not be able to read it. It's advertising a book launch. about, called The Spirituality of Jane Austen. And totally unselfconsciously, the people running the book launch have written, please note the author is not actually Jane Austen. So that's reassuring. People running this book launch haven't gone and sort of got her out of her grave and uh, tried to do a Frankenstein on her so she can be at their book launch. I love the way they felt like they had to announce that was the case. The, the reason that is weird is because usually death can't be fixed, You can't get Jane Austen to your book launch about her. She died in 1824. But something amazing happens in this play in Leviticus. The priest goes outside the camp into the realm of death. And through the work of the priest and a sacrifice being made, the unclean person is pronounced clean and they can come back inside And once they're in the safety of the camp, once their uncleanness is paid with through sacrifice, and they're pronounced clean, something totally weird happens, they have to shave all over, which again is a bit sort of gruesome. But every single part of them that belonged to their dead life needs to be shaved off. And then they start doing the normal sacrifices again, being part of the people of God. If this is a play, then the moment the priest steps outside is the best moment. That is the moment the villain gets shot, or the two lovers kiss. The priest, the messenger and representative of the one who pours out life, steps outside the camp into the realm of death and pronounces the person is clean. And when the priest does that, the person belongs. They can come into the family of the God who gives life. But it is just a play. All that priest could do to the person with the skin disease is say they were clean once their disease had gone. But there was one who came along and said to people with these diseases, be clean. And they were. There was someone A source of life who had, as his first followers described him, life in himself. That means to say, unlike us, he did not borrow life from God. And there was that same one. When he walked around in this broken world, this wilderness of death, he didn't catch it. He didn't become unclean. The opposite happened. The people near him got clean. Even if they were actually dead, he gave them life. You see, this one who had life in himself stepped out of the perfect place where God lives, that the camp is a picture of, where God lives in this perfect self-giving, life-giving love. He stepped out of that camp into this wilderness, this world of death. And he fully entered this world of death, never marked by death, never unclean, and yet choosing to take the uncleanness of death on himself. And so like the priest stepping outside the camp in Leviticus, he meets us, the people marked by death, and says, I've taken death on for you and one. I can give you life. I can make you clean. Come and live connected to the source of all life. Even that connection that will not be broken by physical death. You know, Jane Austen will not be at the Meet the Author event. But if she trusted Jesus, she is now more alive than she ever was when she walked around here. And one day, her body will be remade without any disease or bleeding or pain or tears. There's a famous evangelist called D.L. Moody. Lots of uh, people here have been influenced by him in various ways. And he said, he was very famous at his time in America, and he said, one day, the headlines of the papers will say, Moody is dead. And he said to his students, don't you believe it? At that moment, I will be more alive than I ever was. Why? Why? Because he'd met the priest who came outside the camp. The one who has life in himself, the eternal God from heaven, life-giving, pure and holy, who steps into our wilderness of unclean people and took on death's evil rule over us and says, You're clean. Be clean. It's all acted out here in the life of the people in Leviticus. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're super welcome. Thank you very much for coming along. There are lots and lots of reasons that we would like to say to you, here is a good reason to become a Christian. We think being a Christian is great. We think Jesus is great, and we would love you to meet him. But here's today's specific reason. Death is real. Even if you never think about it, it still happens. The fact that you will one day die is now at this moment ruling your life, whether you think about death or not. And death is an eternal wilderness separated from God. But there is a messenger who was God himself who stepped into this death-ruled world, broken the power, and made the sacrifice to bring you into God's camp, to connect you to the God who can take you through death. Now, just one thing to note, just in case some people pick this up wrong. You don't become clean by copying the priest. You don't do what the priest does. Jesus did not step into the world for us to copy him. No, the priest does the work for you, and you become clean. The writer of the Hebrews in the New Testament puts it like this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanities, talking about Jesus, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That's the picture of Leviticus. The priest steps out into the dead world and breaks the power of death. Over the person marked by death. Well, what does all that mean? It means in the final act, you may shive freely. Someone said to me this week here's the message of the gospel summed up in a couple of sentences. You've lived life like it's a tragedy, and you're the center. Stop it. Life is a victory, and Jesus is the center. The final act of the play is that the person pronounced clean steps inside the camp, is safe and welcomed and connected to God and shaves off every part of their old life. It's interesting, they have to shave all over and then seven days later they have to shave again. I guess that's saying anything that started growing when you belong to that old life has to be totally got rid of. Once you're made clean, you're safe. If Jesus has got you, he won't let you go. And nothing that grows out of your old sinful life will surprise him or shock him or mean you have to go back outside the camp. It's interesting in this play in Leviticus, strangely, there are no recurring illnesses, which is just not real life, is it? Most illnesses do recur. Not in this play. Once you're back in, you're clean and you're in. But it does say, in this safe place, welcomed by the source of true life, in his camp, in his family, let's get rid of everything that belongs to that old life ruled by death. Shave it off, in the words almost of Taylor Swift. Continue, You will continue to grow stuff out of you that comes from that old life. But you're now connected to the power who made everything, safely rescued by the priest who stepped into our wilderness. Let's get rid of the stuff that belonged to the old life ruled by death. You know, Jesus' victory over death for us is so sure and so certain that one of the New Testament writers felt free to say this to death Where, O grave, that's the wrong slide, where, O grave, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Jesus' victory over death for us is so certain that he felt free to look at death in the face and say, you have no victory over me. Now, often we save those words for funerals, and they're great for funerals of Christian people. They are precious words to sing defiantly over the grave of someone who's died. Some of us have done that more recently than we'd like. But where they come in the Bible, they're not actually written about someone dying. It's written for living persons. It's saying, listen, given that death is not now a fearsome enemy, given that you are connected to the true life who made everything, given that death is swallowed up in that victory, don't live now as if you only have one life. That's giving death a victory it doesn't have any more. And every time we make decisions to please ourselves and not serve others, to say, well, I've got to do this selfish thing because I've only got one life, we are letting death win. And death has not won. Shave it off. What goes with that old dead life? Every time you decide to make a move in life, simply because it will improve your life here and now, increase your comfort, lose embarrassment, protect this life at the cost of others, you're letting death win. But the grave has no victory anymore. So shave it off. It's a great picture, isn't it? Uh, I, in a couple of years' time, not my next birthday, but the one after, will be 40 I know I don't lick it. No need to say that. I'll be 40. It is traditional when you're 40 to have what they call a midlife crisis. That is, uh, presuming you live to 80, which is quite a big presumption. Presuming you live to 80, you think, I've only got half my life left. And so people do all sorts of stupid things, ranging from sort of mildly stupid, like getting an inappropriate tattoo, right the way through to really stupid, like messing up their family or, you know... Making stupid, selfish decisions that hurt others, because I've only got half my life left. That's just letting death win. Jesus has defeated death. I've got eternity to do all sorts of stuff I love. Or maybe you're on here today and you feel the uncleanness of life, really, clearly. you feel the uncleanness of shame. That is, what if other people find out about my life and what I'm really like? That power that shame has over you is based on that I only have this life. People will know the truth about me in this life. And so my life will be ruined if they find that out. Listen, a priest has stepped into your wilderness and broken the power of death and declares you clean. Shave shame off. Where, O grave, is your victory? Not over me. No, Jesus has come to me outside the camp and welcomed me. And living the Christian life is basically every day saying to death, you will not rule me. I have nothing to lose by letting God shave off that stuff that goes with this death world life. What looks like a list of boring regulations is actually a heart-raising play. The death-ruled people, unclean and outside the camp, are welcomed by the messenger from the source of life. And if that's you, you're safe, you can't do anything to make your unclean disease recur so that you'll go outside the camp again. Jesus has got you, so let's together say to death, no more victories for you in my life. No more living as if this life is all there is. Where is your victory, death? It is not here. In the picture of Leviticus, let's shave. Let's begin by praying. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful picture of the priest who comes from the place of life, stepping into the wilderness of death, and pronouncing people clean. We thank you that that offer is here for anybody today, not to copy the priest, but to trust him. And we thank you for this amazing picture of being welcomed safely back into the camp and getting rid of whatever goes with our old life. And we pray for the work of your spirit. Please help us put to death what belongs to death, And to live in the freedom of the children of the one who is life in himself. We pray for your help in that. In Jesus' name. Amen.